0: The opinions expressed on this podcast should be construed only as the opinions of the respective opiners, and some content may not be appropriate for little dragons. Discretion is advised.
1: I can't never stop working hard. Each day I feel I have to improve.
2: Hard work,
0: determination. I've got to keep pushing myself. Hello and welcome to hiya The only podcast that's broadcast for the badass with a brain and hopefully a sense of humor. Episode 49, recorded February 9th, starts now. Alright folks, <clears throat> good to be back on the mics once again. We're hanging in there with our schedule, although... The snow and ice have made it a little bit difficult. Just a wee bit difficult. Ah, but the internets are not frozen and the electricity's still running, and the whole family's happy and snugly and warm. We have fire, we have beer, the champagne lounge is still in effect. We never close. Why would we do a thing like that? Alright, look, we're gearing up for big episode 50 another landmark in the forward march of hiya podcast but today it's just little old me sitting here talking to you at least for the intro uh there was a planned guest host for this one but he kind of forgot about his significant other's birthday until the last minute so that that plan was changed rapidly <clears throat> we won't mention who it is but their name rhymes with big owl hoo <laughs> He never listens when he's not on anyway, so I doubt I'll get in trouble for that. But I did want to tell you what we have on tap for today. We've got Jared Wilson coming on to talk to me to do a little podcast cross pollination with the Marshall Thoughts Podcast. Uh, they're a fairly new podcast, We've got five episodes out now. And uh, they contacted me, had me on their show. Uh, I, I like their show. Uh, Reminds us a lot of us when we were young and impressionable and a little more vulgar than we are now, maybe. (laughs) Uh, Sound quality wasn't quite as good as it is now, because, you know, we're masters of the craft at this point. But, uh, uh, yeah, no, it's a good show, and we came on to talk about uh, that and his primary martial art, which is Aikido, which has not been discussed in detail on this podcast before, so... I hope you guys are going to enjoy that. Um, I'll pop back at the end with a little bit of a closing segment for you. Um, I stumbled across a description of what actually happens in the case of a liver shot online. And frankly, it was news to me, so I thought I might share it with you. It's uh, I thought it was interesting. Explained a lot. And of course, we're going to have a little bit of extra listener donated content at the end. Uh, Jeff Westfalls, Marshall brain, lots, of, lots of Marshalls to keep straight here. Uh, Marshall thoughts, then on to Marshall brain at the end of the show in its usual spot. And, uh, we love those. Got a couple more of those left to put in the feed for you. Maybe we can talk him into making some more new ones soon. Um, and yeah, without going on too much, that's about it. I will go ahead at the top of the show preview the next show, episode 50. There's going to be a lot going on in that show. But the interview for that is already in the can. Uh, I spoke with Damon Young just uh, yesterday evening, uh, as of this recording. And uh, he is a uh, martial artist and a philosopher. And among his other books that he's written, he edited a tome known as Martial Arts and Philosophy, Beating and Nothingness. And uh, the second I saw that, that SART pun won me over. I hope that's how you say it. So uh Yeah, so I had a fascinating conversation with him, which I'm looking forward to unleashing on you, the public, plus all the other bonus stuff we're going to have for episode 50. So uh, stay tuned for that. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. We've got a whopping episode 49 coming up right now for you. I'm going to slip out to the champagne lounge and uh, knock the ice off a beer and uh, try not to break the bottle while I do it. All right, I will see you guys after the interview. folks we're back and as promised i have with me on the mics jared wilson uh who is an aikido practitioner among other things and also one of the founders of the nascent podcast marshall thoughts <laughs> and uh, yeah and since he was nice enough to have me on his show a little while back i thought i'd uh trade the favor and uh also we've been wanting to get somebody who could talk in a little bit of depth about a keto on the program for quite some time so i hope you're prepared for that
1: (laughs) i did my homework yes
0: okay good (laughs) (laughs) all right well let's let's go ahead and get started uh by getting a little background on you you know what are you all about how did you get started in martial arts and uh and what's your what's your thing now
1: uh i kind of backed into the martial arts um my interest initially was you know as a middle school probably going into high school i was playing sports and kind of doing d and d on the side type of thing dungeons and dragons oh
0: another one
1: (laughs) yeah 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 We, we creep out of the woodwork occasionally um but my interest was was always in swords i it i have no idea why it was it's just i've always been interested in you know the king arthur stories the swords so Uh, my girlfriend at the time who eventually became my wife, uh, showed me a movie called Highlander, nice, good sword movie. Mm -hmm. And I said, you know what? I figure if I'm going to be liking swords so much, I might as well try and learn how to use them. See, I I love that. That,
0: that, That's part of the same thing that was going on with me when I was a kid. I was young. I was playing Dungeons & Dragons, watching kung fu movies. (laughs) My friends and I would beat each other with sticks in the woods and garbage can lids for S.H.I.E.L.D. (laughs) But at some point, you realize you don't want to be like the uber nerd. You want to be able to do all that stuff, but have something real behind it. Uh, Right. (laughs) But continue with your story.
1: Well, then – You know, like I said, I played sports in high school and then I uh, went to college and I said, you know, the physical part always helped with my academics in high school. Whenever my grades always went down when I wasn't playing sports. So I figured I should do something physical again. And since the swords were there, I decided to look it up. And by freak chance, there's uh, a traditional Japanese martial arts that was taught in Gainesville at the time. (laughs) And... Now, I this, went in there looking for the. G- which, which
0: Gainesville are we talking about here?
1: Uh, the real one in Florida. Okay. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. I'm a gator, so, uh, I you know, like I said, it was a, a, literally it's a Japanese family tradition that was handed down, and um, Jason Backlund, who is the 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 Sochi, which is. It's not the familial head of the system, but it's the guy who inherits the system. Okay. Uh, he was going to school in Gainesville at the time, and I started learning with him. I was there for about three years or so, two years, three years, something like that with him. I graduated. I came back down to South Florida, and I decided I wanted to start off and eventually ended up with uh, uh, a Jiu-Jitsu, Aikido, Kenjitsu, and arnis is all wrapped up in the system. So I've been with the uh, Temiru Chenokan Aikido for about twelve years now, eleven, twelve years, something like that. Nice. Yeah. So they've got a
0: variety of things that they teach in there. It's not not just one <coughs> system.
1: No, it's um it it's an overarching system, and each you have a a, a ranking system in each part of it. So. Like I have my my shodan, my black belt in the aikido part. Actually, I just got my need on in that, and I've got uh, a shodan in the kenjutsu, the sword part of it. Okay. So, I I, pri- <laughs> I play around with the Jiu-Jitsu, and I for whatever reason I've never been into the arnis as much.
0: Well, it, it sounds it sounds like a good arrangement. Uh, you can kind of cross train and do it all under the same roof.
1: Uh, right. You know, if you're and I. And honestly, the more I do the jujitsu, the more I realize it's the same thing as Aikido. It's just the order that you kind of do things. You know, jujitsu likes to strike and then throw, and then Aikido we we hide our strikes and then throw. <laughs>
0: <laughs> right. Well, it's t- okay. That's a good place to jump off on that. Tell me what you mean by hide your strikes. I have a feeling I know, but I want to see if uh, I want to see if I'm on the right track. If you're right, yeah.
1: Um, it, there's a great quote from O-Sensei, the guy who developed uh, Aikido back in the 20s, 30s, 40s. Uh, he said, uh, a Temi, which is striking. He says, Temi is 90% of Aikido. So, All right? <laughs> you know, the way that, the way that Aikido is practiced today isn't the way it was originally intended. Okay. Um, Yeah, I know. It's one of those weird things. It kind of changed somewhere in the 50s. They kind of call it like the the pre-war Aikido and the the post-war Aikido. And it it, it changed a lot. If you go back to the old school stuff, it was a complete martial art where you were hitting people. Um, Gyozo Shota has got a great quote. Someone asked him how you make Aikido work. He says, oh, it's real easy. You break the eyes, you break the collarbone, and you throw them however you want. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Soften them up a little first.
1: (laughs) right which is not the way most people in their head are picturing aikido so
0: yeah and that's you know uh, aikido seems to have fallen into the same sort of popularity trap as things like tai chi, where there's a wide variety of stuff out there and some of the most popular seems to be the stuff where you have a little frail old man who seems to almost magically be able to hurl people through <laughs> the air one after the other after the other uh, and it also makes it look like yeah, the focus I, of the system is on joint locking specifically and throwing with that. And you're saying that in the more traditional Aikido, it's there's a lot of striking involved as well.
1: Yeah, they uh, the way I learned it and the way I'm kind of doing it right now is I you learn all the throws, you learn the joint locks, and now you start to throw in the strikes when they're available. You know, the strike is used, like you said, kind of to soften them up. Right. Um, and that you know, real quick when you're talking about. The, the the old man Aikido. That's actually a big part of it is, O-Sensei, most of the videos that we see of him are when he is in his 50s, 60s, 70s. So, of course, they're going to be softer. Um, They're also done as demonstrations. So, the people that he's going against are going to give him everything they can, make it look as good as they can. Mm -hmm. So, there's a little bit of a a sensei worship going on there, I think, too.
0: Well, in in Asian cultures, there seems to be a lot of that. You can see it in (sighs) many... in many styles, you know, the the venerable master can do no wrong, and and even right. to the point where you, you people get you know believe in empty force and things like that because they sort of get you know brainwashed by the the mystique of the master.
1: I, you know, he well, sensei must have been a badass because he kept getting challenged by everyone. He was coming up with a new system that, you know, it was. <laughs> It wasn't quite what anybody else had seen before. You know, the karate people would challenge him, and they'd come away going, yeah, he's he's legitimate. The judo people would come up to him and challenge him, and they'd go, yeah, he's legitimate. If half the stories are true about him, he was a badass anyway. So.
0: Yeah, well, you have to think the guy had something going on. When he was younger, he was a bodyguard, for instance, for very highly placed people, Uh Onosaburo right. Daguchi, who mm-hmm. was a, sort of his spiritual and political mentor from what I understand correct me if I'm wrong on any of my shallow knowledge here but
1: didn't he bodyguard him halfway <laughs> no.
0: across uh, Manchuria at one point you know that
1: Yeah him and uh, the uh, Onibuchi, uh decided that it was kind of a uh, the Japanese imperialists said that they should go invade Mongolia so them and us they just say it as a small group they never say how many but Basically, they all decided to invade China one day. <laughs> and the Chinese the Chinese government took them and kind of said, you know, they literally were in front of a firing squad when they said, nope, the Japanese people want them back. So, you know, they took them back under guard, back to Japan. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, it sounds like they were ambitious as well. <laughs> of course, everybody yes. was everybody was trying to knock a piece off of China at that point. So, you know it's uh, especially the japanese yes indeed that's a grim subject we'll probably go ahead and stay away from but uh you know uh i think it does say something about uh oshiba that uh that he was you know tapped for duties like that i don't think if you were walking into that situation you would want a bodyguard bodyguard who was purely a figurehead you know you might want him to be able to step up and knock somebody uh, down if you had
1: to and that's the thing is that, you know, again, most of the pictures we see are when he's in his fifties, sixties, seventies, he's this little tiny skinny man. I found some pictures when he was in his, you know, younger days and he was a beast. He looked more like he was a judo guy, big, thick wrist that nobody could ever bend. Yeah. I mean, he was a scary looking little guy. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you know,
0: so how, how has it developed in the West? You know, it he was. <sighs> he was brought into this um you know he was a tough guy when he was young he kind of created his own martial art uh, uh most people say it came from daito ryu um i'm terrible at the japanese pronunciation right. so forgive me
1: <laughs> That's um, i'm pretty bad with the chinese part so
0: yeah <laughs> oh and uh, i think when i was talking to you on your show i mentioned something about you know people saying he might have picked up some bagua on that manchurian trip or whatever but uh Oh uh, boy! I looked. Uh, I had that was a vague memory at the time, and I've looked it up since, and that that's been debunked a uh, hundred times over by <coughs> such luminaries as Ellis Amder, who we've had on the show, and other people. So right. I probably should have known better than to say that. Um,
1: but, uh, that just adds to the martial arts legend.
0: That's right. I'm a <laughs> checks in the mail for me, right? Yeah. <laughs> the Keto mysticism foundation is just, uh, or the right. the Chinese, we, we invented it all foundation. Somebody's going to send me a check here.
1: Yep. Uh, no, you're, you're, go ahead. I was going to say you're right in, in that most of it actually is based on Daito, which is, uh, it's a traditional Japanese martial art, um, there's debate on exactly when it started becoming called Daito-ryu Aikijutsu, mm-hmm. when the Aiki part of the name came in. You know whether it was Jujutsu or Aikijutsu. Right. So it depends on who you ask about that. Uh, but he also did a couple other things. Um, he did Jojutsu, which is short staff. Mm-hmm. Uh, he did Kenjutsu. He did, which actually, the ironically, the Jojutsu, which is short staff and spear work that he worked on. He actually started training uh, the Japanese army in bayonet techniques using the same idea. So it it was kind of cool he did that.
0: Yeah, that's another common feature of like early 20th century martial arts in the East is uh, a lot of people who were martial arts teachers in the, you know, before the big changes started sweeping across that region, uh, wound up having to find, you know, other pursuits other ways to make money rather right. than teaching or like for instance in china the boxer rebellion shut down a lot pushed martial arts way down the totem pole of respectability for a couple of decades and <laughs> a lot of those people went into training uh, military groups and police units and things like that uh
1: and well, so yeah, uh, i was gonna say go ahead okay i was gonna say in, in japan they had a sp- extra special difficulty in that after world war ii they weren't allowed to do anything with any kind of military or militism anymore so a lot of the arts became no no this is a loving gentle art or this is a competition this isn't a martial art <laughs> right. so i i think that's where some of the aikido became this is a loving gentle we we love our opponent type of stuff you know in the meanwhile you know he's breaking bones and just not telling anybody
0: right well, and you know that's sort of that dojutsu separation there so in a lot of cases right. uh, what what it sounds like you're saying is that was sort of a whitewash to to kind of hide the real <laughs> practice and give it a public nice gentle face that would pass with the post war authorities there
1: yeah there's um and i some of this is my interpretation of it so it's not historical but
0: hey there's a disclaimer there's also- at the beginning of the show so go crazy <laughs> <laughs>
1: There also seems to be, and this is kind of scandalous in the Aiki world, is that um, he kind of turned over the system to his son, Kishimaru, mm-hmm. in 1942. And it seems to be, and again, this is kind of my interpretation of it. It was kind of a, the business of being an Aikido instructor wasn't very good. So they kind of made him retire and go off to another province where he could teach his own. And then they ran the Aikido, him and uh, his son and a couple other people. Um when his son took over his son was only 21 or 22 at the time and he'd only really been studying aikido for a, about 5 6 years on record okay so there's some interpretation that says that's where a lot of the softness came in and the kind of the the kind of bullshit overhead attacks that aren't realistic came into it right it's because he necessarily wasn't what his father could do so that started becoming the gospel because that was the way the head of the system was doing it so it kind of became a lot softer in that aspect of it
0: okay well eventually in the early 50s it started to migrate over here to the states um so uh you know tell me a little bit about the the different lineages of aikido over here and and more specifically where you guys fall in that spectrum
1: okay well (laughs) <laughs> There's always, you know, anytime you start bringing key into the idea, it starts getting messy. It's right there in the, the name. That, yeah, it's exactly, <laughs> <laughs> it. Yeah, I know. Um, and actually, that that's one that's one of those weird things. The Aikido is kind of always translate. If you ask a different system, they'll give you a different interpretation of what Aikido translates as. It's all in the translation.
0: So, yeah.
1: <laughs> right. You know, harmonious energy is one of the great ways I you know what the hell does that mean but it sounds cool well I've seen you know, it translated like uh, the the, yeah, that's the, kind of the breakdown Yi and of where they started to go
0: the the mind and the the intent and the heart all focusing in the same direction that sort of thing you know unit unity of body and mind right. and also as you know mystical force or life energy
1: right right so it, depending on kind of when you were with those sensei when the original instructor was that kind of determined, first of all, how rough of a system the break, the splinters became, mm-hmm. or how much they focused on key. Um, one of the groups that first broke off was called themselves the Key Society, for example. So, <laughs> you know, then you have the uh, one of the schools is Yoshinkan, which is uh, crap. I'm forgetting now. I think that one's Shioda was the guy who had started that one, and that one's a much rougher, more martial aspect of it um where our system falls in is <laughs> we're a weird system we're not affiliated with any of the major organizations because we're not just because it didn't seem to be worth it there's not too many of us it's system it kind of is to be 100 percent honest if anybody watched our aikido system they wouldn't say we do aikido they'd say we do Aiku Jiu or some halfway in between Aikido and Jiu Jitsu. Okay. So uh but our original our instructor actually learned it from uh Satome Sensei, who is again on the kind of the hard aspect of that one.
0: Okay. And uh tell me a little bit about your instructor now that uh you brought him up. Uh
1: <laughs> uh well, our, our, like I said, it's a Temiru Jiu-Jitsu is the overarching system. And then Chendokan Aikido is the little subsystem. So Getsuru Kenjitsu is a subsystem. Uh, and then a Temiru is the name of the Arnese system. Uh, he's actually uh, – his main art, obviously, is the Jiu-Jitsu part. Uh, he's studied with uh, Grandmaster Moses Powell is was one of the uh, main people that he studied with. Okay. Uh, who and He's also studied with uh, – a, a Filipino man named uh, Visitacion, they call him Master V. is his shorter name because I guess nobody else could pronounce it. Right. So <laughs> uh, Master V was an eclectic martial arts, uh, martial artist. He kind of went around Asia and then came, eventually came to the U.S. and studied everything. Never really got really high ranking in any one thing, but he studied enough of it and eventually started creating his own combination thing out of it. Um, Rue is uh, Dr. Moses Powell's. That's he studied that one from Master V, and they kind of did the same thing. He added his own pieces, his own flavor to it. And then Atemi Jiu-Jitsu is kind of the next step, where it's another version of the same basic ideas of it.
0: Okay, so it's sort of a syncretic system. It's uh, right.
1: right. It is Japanese Jujitsu based, um, but. Again, most, you know, we wear the gis, the Japanese jiu-jitsu gis. Uh, it has all the same parts of it, but we're not as bound by the traditional society as part of it. You know, we do bow in at the end. We don't bow in the beginning, but it's a much lighter atmosphere than I've found in a lot of traditional jiu-jitsu systems.
0: Right. <laughs> well, you know, I uh, there may be some people who say, oh, well, you know, it's not the real ancient knowledge then. It's all mixed up. And, uh, but, you know, when I see arts that are open enough to try new things and incorporate new ideas, that to me, you know, again, I like to call them living arts. You know, it's something that's still alive right. and growing and changing with the times, which, you know, is not necessarily a bad thing, people.
1: <laughs> <laughs> right now, actually, you know, talking about that, um one of our students uh he you know he came to us to learn for a little bit, but he's uh, uh an instructor of Wing Chun. And it amazes me how well Wing Chun blends in with Aikido. They look completely different, but the motions of controlling the center, controlling the attack line, are going to be exactly the same. So, yeah, <laughs> we're
0: we're getting back around to that one big family of martial arts thing. When I uh, I, right. I managed to score the interview with Randy Williams some time ago, uh, who's a super cool guy and is funny as hell. Hi, y'all, listeners! If you haven't listened to that one, go back and check it out. It's hilarious. Oh, they're all awesome. The, the guy could have been a stand-up comedian if he wasn't such a good martial artist. <laughs> uh but uh uh my my friend Bruce who is a co-host on the show sometimes tours the world with right. major bands and at one point uh Sifu Williams came to teach one of the band members one day so Bruce got to do that and he put some pictures up on Facebook and uh you know I was looking at Bruce's pictures on Facebook of what they were doing and a couple of the pictures, what they were doing looked identical to something I had been showing Bruce in my class like a month before he went on tour. And I posted kind of something like, like oh, does that look familiar, Bruce? And Randy Williams popped up and he's like, well, if it does, it's good stuff, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but, it, again, it's amazing. You know, Wing Chun and Bagua don't look at all the same if you think about what the performance of them looks like. But when they were doing basic tactical things, it looked almost identical to, to stuff that we yeah. do. So. It's the old yeah, human I body. Agree. Yeah. <laughs> now go ahead. I cut you off, man.
1: Uh, it's, um, uh, that was pretty much it. I mean, like I said, we're, uh, we're trying to market our Aikido and we're calling it combat effective Aikido. You know, the beginning learning is all going to be the same. It's going to be the same uh, flowing with the energy and to use the bad term. And what we mean by energy is their momentum, their uh, forward uh, intent you know, Yeah, their capacity the to do
0: work, the scientific definition of it. Right. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> so, you know, on a basic idea, the idea of Aikido is you go to open a door and you have your hand on the doorknob and someone pulls the door on from the other side. You stumble into the room. That's the idea of Aikido. Right. Whenever they're trying to extend any type of motion, you overextend them. And, um, and that's kind of where the strikes come in then is – there's a lot of hidden strikes—the things that we show looking like a nice throw. Really, what you're doing is, you know, you're elbowing them in the head. You're not doing a nice yumi nage. Or there's a a move called kaiten nage. It means rotary throw, where you're pushing the head down, you're pushing one arm up. Yeah. Well, originally, what it was is you're going for your short sword, and they were decapitating you. It wasn't a strike to the back of the neck. So, you know, yeah. there's a hidden strikes in there if you know where to look for them. And that's what kind of what we're exploring with right now on our Aikido ideas. Nice. Well, do you
0: guys do any kind of sportive competitions or, or is that uh, not part of the mix over there?
1: No, there's um, there's only a couple of Aikido that do any kind of competition. That was a huge thing that was quoted over and over by O sensei is Aikido does not have competition. So of course there has to be one, there has to be one group that does competition. Um, (laughs) So we do, um, and it, it was actually originally a, a judo idea. It's called randori, where it's basically one guy and a s- repeated attacks. It can be from one person, two people, five people, um, and now that's part of our testing process too. Uh, you know, for the first couple of times, your whole idea is crap. I just got to get out of the way, make sure I'm not in the middle, right? Um, and eventually, after you're doing this a little bit, you start to be able to put in a you know a throw. Someone attacks you you start to be able to, like I said, kind of pull them in one direction or angle them. So they're hitting into the next guy type of thing.
0: Yeah.
1: So I'm
0: I'm picking up what you're laying down, man. It sounds, again, it sounds like (laughs) Bagua to me, but, uh, there's like I
1: said, you know, I, it, when I watched the video of you that I found on YouTube, it it looks surprisingly similar. I'm like, crap. (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) And the, uh, The uh, So it looks like Akito does have a, an aware It might be in that bodyguard classification that I like to use, different classifications for martial arts. It looks like it might sort of be in that realm. And if he did some bodyguarding, of course, that would make sense. He would tailor his martial arts to fit that, to sort of multiple opponent things. Uh, and it sounds like you guys are practicing those drills, you know, having multiple opponents. What's the... Uh, I mean, uh, tell me, tell me more about the, how does the footwork handle that sort of thing in, in a <laughs> You
1: know, it's one of those things I have my own, I, I teach it and I also get taught of it as well, but I have my own saying, it says there's only two moves in Aikido, um, you either step in or you turn and, and that's basically all you do. The rest of it's just fancy handwork. Um, (laughs) so most Aikido techniques have, uh, two versions of it. One's called, uh, a mote where you step across the person's center. Okay. And usually you're, you're bringing a limb with you as you do it. Right. Which obviously is unbalancing them or you turn to their backside as they throw an attack. So I'm almost standing behind you. Mm -hmm. Um, and again, usually I'm trying to bring a limb with me. You know, the arm that was punching, I'm pulling in the direction And then at rate as you're at your balance point where you don't have any more control, I'm changing the direction with it. Um, Kota Gaesha is a really good example of that where as they're throwing a punch, you overextend their punch. And then as a part of a wrist grab, you grab their wrist, and it literally means wrist returning because I'm taking the wrist, giving it right back to them. Right. But I'm bending it in such a way that it's, uh, if I do it fast enough, it's a wrist break or I can use it as a pin or I can use it as a throw. So depending if it's, someone that's trying to kill you with a knife, or it's a drunk uncle, uh, you have variability there. Right. <laughs> we got a, a lot of drunk uncles in our system. I don't know why that's always our example, but that's what we always talk about.
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, well, <laughs> I've been to a couple of those parties, and it wasn't any fun. I wish I'd known something. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, <clears throat> okay, well, you know, uh, I'll stop harping on how similar it sounds to Bagua and, and just move on from that. <laughs> Because I think, you know, again, these martial arts, they fall into different pockets of where they focus their utility. And I think anything that's in that sort of bodyguarding, self-defense uh, area is going to have a lot of elements of that if it's, you know, keeping it real, as it were. Um, right. So you're teaching now and still training. Uh, are you, you know, one of the sub-instructors at the school, or do you do your own classes? How How does that go for you?
1: Well, for ours, we have our our head instructor, which is, you know, Dr. Philip Janik, who's kind of runs everything. Um, And then, because we actually have two dojos, well, we have three dojos that are relatively close, uh, you know, within 20 miles of each other, he kind of rotates around between all of them. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, if once you get up to the point where he feels you're able to, he'll hand you a class, like I teach on Monday nights, for example, um, and that's my class, you know, and he'll say something like, hey, I want you to work more with the beginning ideas, or you know, I want you to work with weapons or whatever it happens to be and that gets to be my class and i get to uh structure it and my idea is eventually when you know they move you know as people do in the martial arts they move away they start their own school um which would you know that's part of my dream for that is to eventually start my own dojo but you know that that's how that part of it works
0: yeah well it's it's good to be able to train under your teacher while teaching classes too because there's you know, it's one thing to learn the techniques and 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 all that stuff, but how to teach them effectively can be really tricky. And you know, when you first start teaching, you know how to do it, yep. but getting that across to the other person can be really hard. Yeah, I know. Like the first year, I, I was teaching Bagua. You know, somebody would come up and ask me a question. If I couldn't tell them the answer, I'd be like, "I'll ask Pittman this week, and I'll <laughs> see you next weekend, and and I'll tell you the answer." Don't you know? it humbles well, I, you. I, and, you know.
1: I have a little bit of a cheat in that I'm a, a high school teacher in my day job. So I, I had a little bit of background of standing in front of people and trying to explain complex ideas. Um, so, you know, I, and and I'm actually right now I'm kind of looking at there's a, a lot of information talking about how to teach martial arts using teaching methods. Um, you know, how different people learn. So I'm kind of you know, personally researching that aspect of it.
0: Well, what have you found so far with that? That that sounds interesting, actually. Explain a little <laughs> bit for me.
1: Oh, okay. Uh, well, you know, the general idea is there's a couple of different ways people learn things. And nobody's 100% one or the other, but there's visual learners, there's auditory learners, there's kinesthetic learners, right. and a, a newer one that I haven't really necessarily heard about is what's called a social learner. They learn from being in groups type of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and... Uh, you know we've talked about this on my podcast I wrote a blog about post about this but just because someone gets a black belt does not mean they're any good at teaching or conveying the information right. so I'm making sure that I know how to convey the information especially when it's something as which can be as esoteric as martial arts you know and part of it is I'm really starting to learn right now is the old traditional idea of some people aren't ready <laughs> to learn at the right time.
0: Right. So sorry about that. I, I, I grabbed a it, fizzy water before I sat down for the interview. <laughs> that was a mistake. I won't be doing that again. No <laughs> um, I,
1: you know, it, it, I, I was a martial arts students for a long time and I, I of course had the the stupid student idea of teach me more, teach me more. I'm ready to learn everything right now. Yeah. yeah. And now that I'm a teacher, I, I I'm like yeah, but if I explain to you, it won't mean anything right now. Yeah. So that that's kind of what I'm doing right now with my teaching part of it.
0: Yeah, it's it's tricky. Uh, like one of the things I like to do if people have been around for a little bit and starting to work their way through the system, I, I drop back and I'm like, okay, you know, like we'll we'll start doing a little weapons work, for instance. And I'll say, okay, single changes. That's all inside and outside single. Two simple moves. Just turn around this way or turn around that way with with the hands and the footwork and everything. And uh, I'll show them how many different things are encapsulated in those two techniques. And then if you start putting them together, I'm like, you've almost got the whole martial art. Like if you had a lifetime to do it, you could take these two things and reverse engineer the entire system because it's all in here. And sometimes that'll make a little light go on over their head and they'll drop back and dig into the basics and not worry so much about, you know, well, when do I get the next punch or the next kick or the next jump or whatever. Right.
1: You know? uh, I, I have, a, again, one of my stupid little sayings, you know, it's like somebody asked me how many moves are there in Aikido? And I said, there's one. Grab something and twist. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that seems to be most of Aikido. Yeah.
0: The rest is just icing on the cake. Yeah. <laughs> the rest um, is just moving your hands around. So, you guys do a lot of grabbing in your system. Uh, Is there, do you do any specific uh, training for that? Or do you have little secret gongs that you do to improve your grip? Or (laughs) is it just something you do by repetition of, you know, doing it on somebody over and over again?
1: That's that's definitely part of it, making sure you can, you know, do it over and over. Um, The other part is there's little i'm sure you've done this too little tricks on how you grab Mm -hmm. you know where to grab on the wrist and how it automatically slams down and you know locks in place on the right the seat clamp, i call it yeah (laughs) yeah um and honestly if you really want to get into how to build up wrist strength it's using a sword Hmm? um it it builds up your forearm muscles and it it's (laughs) the other two people i mainly train with you know kind of my peers on there um the guys that are on the podcast with us too yeah um they all do sword work and Every single time one of us is stuck on a technique and you're like, I can't get this. You know, we'll pull out a sword and show them the exact same movement with a sword. And they're like, oh, okay, now I can do it. <laughs> <laughs> right. Do you guys use any weird grabs? Like,
0: uh, we, like we do one I haven't seen in a lot of other martial arts. I'm sure it's in there, but I haven't seen people actually doing it. Where you grab clothing. I'm trying to get my hand in the camera here so you can see. You grab clothing or skin right. this way and you wrap it up into your fingers. Right. And so you're not grabbing with the thumb; you're just getting a hold of meat that way, or clothing, as right, it were. Right, kind of hooking it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're kind of rolling it in there. Do you have any little <laughs> yeah. quirky stuff like that for grabbing in there?
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, I do, but again, I come up with stupid names for everything. Oh yeah, you know, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> like grab something and twist. Um, I, I kind of joking around called it the flamingo head. Okay. <laughs> What it is, is if you're behind someone, you grab like this around their neck and you're pushing kind of right into the carotid artery and pulling back, but it kind of looks like a little flamingo head. Okay. So, (laughs) you know, there are stupid little things like that. Um, Honestly, if you're, if you're doing Aikido the best way possible that you can, you shouldn't be grabbing per se. It's really not meant to be grabbed. It's meant to kind of scoop limbs out of the way. Um, Sort of lead and lever and, and... Right. Um you know, of course I'm not that level, so I'm grabbing all over the place, but yeah. That's the idea. That's that's where we want to get to. Right. <laughs> um again, you know, going back to O sensei, uh just because it you know with the MMA it's come up a lot, if you go back, we've actually found pictures of O Sensei doing groundwork, which most people do not associate with Aikido. But there's a really good picture I have where he's got someone down in a headlock, down on the ground with his legs sprawled out. I mean, it looks just like the MMA stuff. So yeah. he was a complete martial art, but martial artist. But sometimes the pieces got lost. So um, there's a real great book I just read called Aikido Ground Fighting that talks about how to use Aikido principles in ground fighting situations. And it's from again, a, maybe not pre-war, but just around the World War II student. Of his who said, "Look, since they did this all the time to me, I know it does, that it's in there."
0: Yeah, and the, the, if you're doing upright grappling, the same principles will apply on the ground as long as you know how to move on the ground. That's the big difference, you know. If you're only used to being on your feet, right, it'll be hard to sell those things right. on the ground because you won't know how to move around down there.
1: Right, and and the Aiki, the principle of aikido is you're not supposed to use any strength if you're grappling on the ground you're going to have to use some strength but you have to use it in the right way so that's where the aikido part kind of comes in on that
0: yeah i'm i'm assuming there's always a little strength required that's uh you know it's funny uh, right. tai, tai chi has that sort of same thing you know move a thousand pounds with 4 ounces or whatever um and uh, I think in, probably in both systems that gets misinterpreted as you should never apply more than four ounces of force to anything, which, uh, <laughs> as John Wang said on the show, yeah. you can't soft somebody to death. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, in reality, what they're talking about is, is you want to go against the person's uh, desired motion as little as possible and lead them into emptiness, as they would say in Tai Chi, or overextend them or – You know, turn that into more than they expected and and use their own power against them to the extent that it's possible. But still, if you get an open punch at somebody's throat or nose or whatever, you're going to, you're not going to four ounce it. (laughs) You're going to haul off. Well,
1: and and again, looking back and, you know, that's kind of my uh, research project I'm doing right now. Uh, A lot of the beginning Aikido, they would throw a strike specifically to get you to react. And then they'd use the reaction. Mm -hmm. And again, that. It's a more advanced technique, so they don't train it as often. But that is definitely a part of Aikido, um, and we're experimenting with it. In fact, <laughs> I'll, I'll spill the beans here. Um, a lot of the grabs, you know, a lot of Aikido, they start off and they go, "Okay, grab my wrist." Well, yeah. Doing some research, what that really is is you're stabbing somebody with a knife, and they grab your wrist so that you don't stab them. Right. Now you do the Aikido. So it, it, there's these hidden amounts of aggression that nobody talks about. You kind of have to dig for it a little bit.
0: Yeah. I mean, once again, you're talking about, uh, we're just having a little love fest here. Common feature in Bogwa is that, (laughs) that we will strike. They're not specifically feints, they're actual strikes, but we're kind of hoping you're going to try to block it because if you block it, you're going to be right there where we can grab you and start putting the real mojo on you. So, and, you know, a lot of that right. spearing, it's not, you know, maybe we'll get your eye, but you're going to react to it and your hand will fly up because anybody that puts a finger in, you know, go put your finger in your wife's eye and see if her hand doesn't fly. It. Well, wait, don't do that. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> no, it's, she'll
1: kick my ass. Yeah.
0: it's a I know what you say. Uh, it's a built-in <laughs> reaction though. It's one of those autonomic things that you have to train to override, not that you have to train to get, you know, if something's coming at your eye, you're going to, your hand's going to go up, your head's going to move back and you can capitalize the, those reactions on those reactions. It's like right. a chess game when you get to that level. It,
1: yeah. You, they unbalance themselves. So all I have to do is just overextend that unbalancing. Yeah. yeah. It's the same thing. Same ideas. Yeah. It works great too. Awesome.
0: Well, um, why don't we uh you mentioned the podcast already why don't we go ahead and uh why don't you tell the people what uh what prompted you and your your fellow podcasters over there to to take the plunge to join the fray as it were out here in the wacky world of martial arts podcasting
1: you know i kind of felt victim to um about four or five years ago we actually started a martial arts podcast it was moderately popular uh it's all been pulled off as far as i know right now anyway but oh, really um yeah it, it started going just because it was what's what was available is it started becoming more and more of an mma concentration show and eventually that's what it became and uh, all the people involved just kind of said you know it we like mma but it's not what we're into so it kind of dissolved and then about I don't know. Six, seven months ago, I started looking around for a martial arts podcasts again, um, and honestly, I found yours. Which I went back and listened to all of them. And you know, let me finish before you say anything. But you guys made it sound—you <laughs> guys made it sound so easy that I thought, "Hell, we can do this." And as I'm getting into it, I'm realizing that the, the genius of making it sound easy—it uh, <laughs> shows how much work and effort there really is into it. So, hey, kudos to you. I I, I applaud you on that one Um, yeah typically
0: talking to people is easy and it's a lot of fun it's all the stuff on the front end and the back end that's a pain in the ass but you know right (laughs) you know that as well as i do so you guys you actually had the lead on us there you you did a martial arts podcast before and it just drifted away from what you were
1: interested in right um so yeah i mean it's the same basically three or four people that are doing it now and uh, we just take a topic of the day that sounds good. Uh, read some of the news and then uh, try to get interviews of interesting martial artists. Um, you're our fifth one, which should be out in a, a week or two from now. Uh, we just actually interviewed, uh, we just put it online today was, uh, author William Dockery who wrote a book on, uh, I precepts, how the mechanics of how Aikido works, uh, which is a great book. Uh, I put a review on my blog and by freak chance, he happened to read the review and comment on it. I'm like, well, Hey, if you really want to talk about it. Yeah. Um, come on the like, show.
0: Hey. No, no, that's a recognizable yeah. name right there. And he probably had his yeah. Google alert set, you know, anytime somebody typed in the name <laughs> of his book. And ping. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, it was honestly, it was like, I don't know, four or five months after I did the review too. So, but that's really cool. I mean, it, it's amazing. The internet can let us do these things. I mean, I, I don't know what, Five ten years ago, we wouldn't have been able to have conversations over the internet like this. Right, so it's really cool that we can do this.
0: Yeah, you would have had to get one of those expensive telephone systems, the broadcast right. standard <laughs> crap that actually sounds worse than most of the Skype and uh, Google Chrome or Google yeah. Plus, which is what we're using tonight, folks. I'm trying out a new thing here, uh, and so far it's been pretty good. You know, a couple of Skype style farts here and there, but overall not bad.
1: No, uh, it's good on my end anyway
0: yeah um so uh if you uh if you had to tell people uh, you know what the tone of your podcast is like <laughs> in a few sentences uh how, how would you describe you know who, who's um, going to want to listen to this
1: show uh, well my there's four of us so there's four different opinions on who should listen to the show <laughs> right. uh, it's probably if, if it was you know jared's world it's probably a little rougher than I would like a little bit, uh, more shit talking amongst all four of us, but yeah. I, I think it ends up pretty humorous over in the long run. So as long as, you know, we're not really making fun of any you know, even including ourselves or other particular martial artists, you know, unless they're doing something stupid in the news that we get to talk about, but right. um, <laughs> you know, it's, it's a general respect for martial artists and we, are pretty open with all of our opinions on everything, you know. If we think something shit, we'll call it, you know. We we'll yeah. call bullshit. We do that in the dojo. You know, I don't think that technique works. I call bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, okay, well then come up here and let's see if it works. <laughs>
0: yeah. Come here <laughs> and I'll show you, Nancy. <laughs> 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 yeah, so uh, I, I've, I'll i admit I've listened to the show, and, and so, yeah, that's pretty spot on there. It's a little salty around the edges, uh, but Hiya, uh, yeah. listeners, if you can stand some of the stuff that we get up to on Haya, then I don't think you'll have any problem listening to this show.
1: Yeah. Uh, they're very opinionated, everyone on the show, so <laughs> <laughs> it kind of comes off that way, too.
0: Well, look, when we first started doing this podcast, it was partially as an excuse to hang out and have... Martial arts bullshit sessions, you know, and, you know, talk to interesting people from outside the group, but it was also so we could have an excuse to hang out and do that. Yeah, because as you get older, those windows get smaller and smaller and people make demands. You you need a good excuse, like, oh, I gotta pack up the recorder and go over there and, <laughs> and do that thing.
1: Yep. Oh, it's uh Friday after class, honey. I gotta stay late. So yeah. <laughs> And uh
0: luckily, you know, people seem to actually enjoy that. I know I like that when I'm listening to a podcast. If it sounds like everybody there is having fun, you listen to a few episodes, you like the people, you get to know them, you know, and, and uh it's it's I think it's part of the package in a lot of ways.
1: Yeah. It's like um for example, Tony on the show is uh he, he's a bigfoot conspiracy nut. He loves all the conspiracy theories. So
0: now does he believe that's, it or does he just ones. love picking around in that pasture?
1: i uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure which way, but it's it's somewhere in there.
0: Well um, tell him I'm up here in North Georgia with a Bigfoot in my freezer if he wants to come by. Right.
1: <laughs> <laughs> See down here we got skunk apes, so Yeah. <laughs>
0: I love that picture so, of the yeah. that classic picture of the skunk ape that somebody took, because it looks like an orangutan. Uh, you know, it's like, did yeah, you take yeah. that at Bush Gardens and just run it
1: through Photoshop? <laughs> What's going on there? <laughs> well, you know, again, I love watching the Bigfoot shows. I really want there to be a Bigfoot, but um, down here we had Hurricane Andrew in 1992, mm-hmm. and like ten chimps went missing. So, <laughs> yeah, now, well, there is some. There is some logical explanation between between people seeing monkey things walking around the Everglades.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I heard monkey jungle got shut down. That was an old roadside yeah. attraction there. Well, the thing about Florida is things get loose there, and they can live there and
1: breed and yeah, stuff. We, yeah, we, we have a problem with uh, ball pythons breeding in the Everglades right now.
0: <laughs> yep. That was a result of that hurricane, too, wasn't it? There was a python ranch that got flattened, and tons of them got out. Right. So, yeah, I had a friend that was a a, a, a tree surgeon in Miami. This is many years ago, but uh, he called me one day. He's like, Dave, I gotta tell you the story because I was working at a zoo at the time. He said, I was out there and I was walking up to trim a tree, and I had my chainsaw out and just fired it up. And this damn monkey popped out of the tree and started yelling at me and threatening <laughs> me. And I, so I revved my chainsaw at it and I scared it away, but. You
1: know. <laughs> Yeah, that, that, that sounds about right. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, well, we're getting old. You know, little... The good part is I teach environmental science, so I get to talk about this all day long, stuff like this with my kids.
0: Yeah. No, it's, a, <laughs> it's actually very important stuff, invasive species and all that, uh,
1: oh, yeah, effects
0: yeah. on ecosystems. But as I'm often forced to say, it's really not that kind of podcast. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, sidetracked.
0: Uh, so, uh, you know, uh. Well, the, I think we've covered most of what I wanted to hit on here. Uh, is there anything that I didn't ask you that you think I should have about Aikido or about uh, the podcast you're doing or anything else?
1: No, I think we got a, a pretty good version of Aikido, the history of it. Again, some of that's my interpretation, but most of it's pretty well documented. Uh, if they're interested in listening to the podcast, it's Martial Thoughts. Uh, if you go to iTunes, you can find it or... Um, I have a blog where they can find it too. It's called, uh, it's thinkingmarshall.blogspot.com. They can find everything there. Okay. I write up a post about once a week, do reviews of books and movies, stuff like that. Awesome. Ironically, I just I uh, just reviewed the uh, the same ninja movie you were talking about last time, The Shadow of a Tear. Oh yeah,
0: Ninja 2. <laughs> <laughs> well, what'd you think? Yeah. What'd you, what'd you, give us the nutshell, <laughs> and we'll go read the review online for the full story.
1: <laughs> Honestly, if you love the ninja movies from the 80s, It's in that exact same vein, just kind of updated. The cinematography is a little bit uh, better. One of the things I really liked about it is the director was a martial artist. Uh, so he pulled the camera back and you can actually see the fight scenes, which is, yeah, a problem with a lot of the modern movies.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, not a lot so of jump cutting, of it. good fight scenes. My favorite part was when he dug up the cache of ninja weapons in the jungle for his <laughs> rampage. That like, oh. for 40 years, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like it's <laughs> on now, baby. <laughs> oh all right man uh Jared It's been great having you on the show uh and we'll make sure and link to all that stuff in our show notes for the listeners so they can go on over there and check it out and uh I encourage you to do so um uh hi yahoos you need to you need to check out martial thoughts. We get plenty of complaints that there aren't enough good martial arts podcasts out there, so we gotta support the ones that rear their heads and and take a stab at it and uh it's entertaining it's uh it's filthy I love it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's the best endorsement I can give.
1: <laughs> that that's probably pretty apropos there. Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> um, no, it's good
1: stuff really, folks.
0: And uh it's been great talking with you, man, and uh hopefully we'll do this again soon.
1: Hey, anytime you want to talk about the Aikido, any of the good stuff in there, the history of it, give me a call, we'll or send me an email and we'll we'll do it again. It's this is great. This is fun.
0: Awesome. Well, uh, let me. Uh, as long as I've got you, I'll I'll, uh, I'll take you outside and show you the champagne lounge real quick. You have to <laughs> sign good. the you have to sign the non just <clears throat> non disclosure agreement though. Okay, you cool with that?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll buy the beers. I'll <laughs> say.
0: All right, fair <laughs> enough. We'll see you in a minute, folks. See ya. Yeah. There you
2: go. I shave my
0: we're back that was a lot of fun had a good time hope you did too make sure you go and check out the martial thoughts podcast uh and uh the next episode they put up should have a little old me talking on it so uh if you don't get enough of me already which you probably do but if you don't go check that out and uh check out all the other great stuff they've got going on there so to wrap up here uh, this comes from fightland.vice.com, and they have a little column they call the Fight Doctor, and this would be a Dr. Michael Kelly. He's a sports medicine specialist and a part-time ringside doctor and the author of the book Fight Medicine. So uh, the question here was, what is it about the liver? the human liver, that makes it such a vulnerable target. And I usually don't like to do this, but I'm just going to read some straight off of this website, hopefully with their forgiveness. Uh, The capsule around the liver has a lot of nerve fibers. It's directly linked to the autonomic nervous system. When there's a sudden blow, there are dynamic pressure changes in the actual organ itself, and that stretching of the organ, if you compress one side, it stretches on the other side because it's pliable causes the nerve signals that go directly into the autonomic nervous system and uh, can cause a complex cascade of events. There's some, it's something you can't control mentally, and it causes a sudden dilation of all your blood vessels everywhere except for the brain. I said, hmm, when I got to this part. At the same time, your heart rate decreases. Normally, to maintain blood pressure, if your blood vessels dilate, your heart beats faster to maintain the pressure in the cardiovascular system. But if you dilate the blood vessels and drop the heart rate, the blood pressure suddenly drops dramatically. Essentially, that's what's happening with a blow to the liver. The fighter takes a shot, you get this nerve signal going into the autonomic nervous system, your blood vessels dilate, the heart rate decreases, the blood pressure suddenly drops and the athlete collapses. You can't control it, you're down. And the reason for the collapse is when your blood pressure is going down, your body tries to instinctively control the blood pressure, and if it can't raise the heart rate or restrict the blood vessels, it puts the body in a supine position so that it can maintain some blood flow to the brain. Because if you lose blood pressure to the brain, obviously that's not compatible with life. If a blow of the liver is severe enough, you can lose consciousness. There can be a loss of consciousness caused by this cascade where you have the slowing of the heart rate and the dilation of the blood vessels while at the same time you get a constriction of blood vessels in the brain. It's like your body does everything wrong in that one instant. When you have a low blood pressure, normally the body will constrict the blood vessels to try and maintain the pressure. Particularly in the brain, we have shunting, where the cerebral vessels can constrict uh Separate from the rest of the body. For some reason, when you have this sudden dilation of blood vessels from a liver shot, and the drop in heart rate and the blood pressure drops suddenly, the brain thinks it's not getting enough blood pressure, so it constricts the blood vessels in the brain only. And that further restricts the blood flow, and then you have loss of consciousness. And the reality here is that this can happen with any of the internal organs. Um, I'm going to paraphrase here. We've all heard of... uh, Kidney shots, you know, knocking people out too, but the reason the liver is so common is it's the largest organ in the abdomen, and it's the most vulnerable because it slightly protrudes under the rib cage. Kidneys aren't as exposed or vulnerable; they have a lot of muscle on top. They're packed up high under the rib cage, and your and your back, and you have a lot of strong back muscles. <clears throat> now, the liver is probably one of the most important organs in the body for life, other than the heart. As the importance of the liver increased as we've evolved, the size increased. As the functions of the liver became more complex, the size increased accordingly, but for some reason, the rib cage didn't expand as much, so the liver is vulnerable. It sticks out there under the bib. Sometimes you see a fighter going down to one knee or hunching forward in an almost fetal position after a liver shot. The body folds forward in response to the blow, but the legs go out. So the body responds to both the pain and the sudden drop in blood pressure. Fighters have told me that it feels a lot like when you get the wind knocked out of you, but you just feel like you have no legs. They go right out from under you. The collapse isn't from the pain, it's from the physiological cascade of events that goes on. We don't know for sure why we have this response to getting struck on the liver. It does seem to be less of a protective effect and more of a vulnerability in the human body. Obviously, the body is not a perfect system. So that's coming from the fight doctor, Dr. Michael Kelly, at fightland.vice.com. And I hope you don't mind me reading a couple of paragraphs onto the air, but I thought that was interesting enough. It was certainly something I didn't know. So it's a combination of the liver getting hit on one side, protruding on the other, and sending this cascade of nerve signals through, and it may not even knock you out. It just causes the blood pressure to drop in the rest of your body so you can't stand up. (laughs) Interesting, and such a good target. So let's all remember, if uh, you get a chance at someone's liver and they're pissing you off, go ahead and take it. If they're not pissing you off, be kind. Yeah. <clears throat> so uh, that's it for this show, folks. It's a little bit of a short one, but hey, uh, weather and circumstances have prevented me getting more done here. But uh, plenty more content coming up for you very soon on a hi And before we tail out, don't forget to stick around and listen to Jeff Westfall's Marshall Brain segment. And that's it. It was fun. Once again, uh, make sure you let us know if you have questions, comments, or anything else at our Facebook page or at mailbag at highopodcast.com. Reach me directly, Dave at hiyappodcast.com. And, of course, go to the website, hiyapodcast.com for downloads and all sorts of other information, including the show notes done by our, our uh, what do you call him? I don't know what you call him. We don't pay him, but he certainly does help out around here. Ryan Lindsay, friend of the show. Yes, our show note friend of the show. That's what we'll call him. <laughs> All right, hi y'all, people. Peace out until next time. Stay warm, unless you're in Australia. And we will
2: see y'all. It's just a trick of the life.
0: And what is, it? Oh,
1: how is, it beyond this is there
2: anyone there? I'm Jeff Westfall for the Martial Brain. The myth of the power of the mind. Modern martial arts academies are festooned with inspirational posters touting the power of the mind, frequently employing images of martial arts masters, samurai warriors, medieval knights, or sports heroes in poses and with sweaty facial expressions that show gritty determination. Inspirational declarations like, to believe it is to achieve it, and, the difference between the impossible and the possible lies in a person's determination, are emblazoned boldly across the top. I want to tread carefully here. I don't want to be dismissive of the importance of motivation and determination in the martial arts, or in life. But some people who tout the power of the mind cross the line from motivational to magical thinking and fantasy. Sensible aphorisms like, don't quit, and just do it, have often been replaced with outrageous claims like, you will succeed if your desire is strong enough. The highly successful movie and self-help book, The Secret, out a supposed phenomenon called the law of attraction, the believers in which assert that thinking positive thoughts bring positive results. There is absolutely no evidence for this so-called law. The kernel of truth is that you cannot succeed if you don't try, or as Wayne Gretzky said, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Determination is an important ingredient. The fallacy lies in thinking that maximal effort is all that is necessary. The human mind is indeed an amazing tool, capable of powerful reasoning, but also prone to self-deception. Mindfulness is important for efficiency, but there are external factors over which your mind has no power. Your mind cannot give you the power to defy the laws of nature. You cannot will yourself to fly, or to transform lead into gold, or to be immortal. Are people who are over seven feet tall more likely to play in the NBA because of the power of their minds? Why are there weight divisions in combat sports like MMA, boxing, and wrestling? Does the power of the mind mean so little that a 115-pound man cannot become the heavyweight champion of the world? We humans are not comfortable with the reality that the universe is utterly indifferent to our desires and goals and that random factors like the genes with which we are born, sometimes have a pivotal effect on our lives. This is one reason that we are prone to believe in conspiracy theories. It's not comforting to think that a lone, mentally ill loser can kill the President of the United States and change the course of history, or that a dozen and a half Muslim fanatics could execute the attacks of 911. It fits more with our preference about how the world should be when we believe that grand conspiracies are responsible. It's also comforting to believe that you can achieve what you want through force of will. As humans, we are fond of representing the world through stories. We are storytelling creatures. One of our greatest weaknesses is that we are more likely to be persuaded by a compelling story than by facts. We are each heroes in our own story. We also each like to believe that our life story has meaning. We often view ourselves as something like soldiers in a war against the forces of darkness. I know what many of you are thinking in response to my assertions here, that my worldview is dark and gloomy. I, on the other hand, find an evidence-based view of the world to be liberating. I am also offended when after a hard-fought battle by two great martial athletes, some credulous subscriber to the magical power of the mind makes a comment like, well, the fighter who lost just didn't want it as badly as the winner did. Remember that you can do everything right and still fail. But that very real possibility should not deter you from making the attempt if the desired goal is realistically attainable and worthwhile. If there is a superpower in the human mind, perhaps it is metacognition. This is the ability to reflect on what we are thinking and why we are thinking it. Metacognition allows us to apply the tools of critical thinking to our very own thoughts, and in this case, not fall prone to magical thinking. Anyway, that's what I think, but I could be wrong. Let me know what you think at my website, rpmartialarts.com. This This is Jeff Westphal for The Martial Brain. Tracker. Check-
0: So um, make sure you go and check out the Marshall Thoughts podcast. The Marshall Thoughts podcast. Make sure you go check out the Marshall Thoughts podcast. I'm just going to start this over. Break.